This is episode number six of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries for July 26, 2016. But either way, how's it going, Mike? I'm doing good. How about you? I'm doing great. And I'm glad that people are listening to this podcast. Um, I did want to point out, uh, for some, some people have been commenting on the iTunes and uh, whatever that, uh, you know, they're complaining about the quality. Um Doing in the doing these kind of phoned in style uh, podcasts are not easy uh, through Skype to produce uh, this pristine quality. It's not exactly like Mike sitting in the same room with me. He lives all no. he literally lives the furthest point away in the United States than me because I live in Florida and he lives in Washington. So yeah, yeah, Vancouver, Washington, not Vancouver, Canada. There's more than one Vancouver. <laughs> I get that all the time. So you live in Vancouver. Yeah, there's a bunch of Jacksonvilles as well. There's a Jacksonville, North Carolina as well. But yeah, we live really far away from each other, so we have to do this over the webcam. So uh, I have a good mic, uh, and if he was here, uh, we I could set up another, and we'd have better quality. If you guys have any suggestions for how we can do this remotely, happily let us know. But enough of that. This time around, we're going to be going over the Belgian UFO the Kelsey House, which is a haunting a ghost t- type of case. And then finally, we're closing in on the legendary Mothman case, which is one of my favorite kind of cryptozoological, uh, mysterious creature type cases. About Mine first- too, because it's such a, it's such a standout. You know, everyone talks about Yeti and Bigfoot and the Chupacabra, you know. Right, but these are all like, uh, you know, for the most part, these are all kind of like over-exaggerated forms of some kind of animal, like a yeah, a bear, a gorilla, a chupacabra is like this crazy wolf dog thing, but mm-hmm. Mothman is like some kind of freakish mutation. But anyway, we'll get to that one uh, at the end. You guys will just have to wait for the Mothman, mm-hmm. and he'll be waiting for you outside your window. Go ahead and look. Um, Starting off with the Belgian UFO case, the reason, uh, well, Mike, you picked this one. Uh, tell us why you picked this one. I'll tell you I why. Pick, I, like. I picked this one because it, it's it's one of those cases where there are multiple witnesses, multiple eyewitnesses who saw the exact same object in the sky, uh, who described it the exact same way as a lot of the other, as the John Domery guys, you know, the, so technic- the Belgian police pretty much. These Belgian police officers who saw this object in the night sky. It has, you know, photographic evidence. Uh, it has a radar uh, recording that shows, honestly, is pretty convincing that there was something that was like really unexplained that happened and the radar recorded it. And because the object was able to go up and then go down at speeds that no human being could possibly survive uh, going down or up at. So it's definitely one of the more, more fascinating UFO cases because there's so much there. There's so, the, the Belgian government was actually cooperative with Unsolved Mysteries. So it's not one of those where it's just he said, she said and the government uh, said no comment or declined to be interviewed. 
That's, so, what, that's why I like this case probably the most is because, uh, and they even say on the segment, Robert Stack says, uh, in a surprising twist, uh, this segment was filmed with the full cooperation of the Belgian government, which to say that's setting a standard is, is a huge understatement because any case in the U.S. dealing with UFOs always gets shrugged off with a no comment or we don't know what you're talking about. Um which to me kind of says something about the possibly the technology and the advancements that the United States has gleaned from this, these UFOs as opposed to other countries. You could even say that the U.S. Uh, the government is more in the know than a lot of these other countries. Yeah, I mean, look at something like the stealth bomber, for instance. You know, that kind of technology was unheard of uh, just a few years before that, and then you know, all of a sudden, you know, wow, now, now we have, you know, some bomber that's able to stealthily, you know, fly across the night sky. And um, it even kind of looks like a UFO, <laughs> according yeah. to some physics. Yeah, the, and, and the stealth bomber was always uh, one of the planes that they would bring up in Unsolved Mysteries when talking about possible, um, you know, possibilities of it not being a UFO. They always reference the stealth bomber, how no one knew what that was. And then the government finally revealed it, which I think is a weak comparison because even looking at the stealth bomber, uh, geometrically, yeah, it's kind of funky looking, but it's still in the shape of a plane. It's still yeah. got kind of uh, propulsion system that is very familiar to mm -hmm. uh, most people. And really, the only thing unique about it is its shape and, and it's, uh, it's patented and they still won't release how it's able to do this, but it's, it's patented like I guess it's a paint job or it's whatever code yeah. you want to avoid radar detection completely. And it doesn't leave a trail for heat-seeking missiles to follow mm -hmm. it around. But besides that, it looks like a, your regular kind of fighter plane, you know, aside from its funky shape, you know. Yeah. So it's kind of, you know, oh, well, what about the self-bomber, you know? when the, We didn't know about that either. It's like, yeah, well, the self-bomber didn't do anything that any of these UFOs do in these cases as far as the... Ascension and descension, the acceleration rates, um, you know, and the, maneuver, the maneuverability, you know, the way that, that some of these UFOs are able to dart across the sky in like a matter of seconds. Right. So let's get into the real meat and potatoes of this story here. This obviously this takes place in Brussels, Belgium. Uh, in the fall of 1989, several thousands of people from all walks of life reported that Belgium is being Belgium is being invaded from the sky. Uh, most of these crafts were described as basically a big triangle, um, and in the middle was a red light. Uh, you could see three white lights, which formed an equilateral triangle on each end of this craft. Um, in July, uh, July 11th of 1991, a press conference was held, and high-ranking me uh, members of the Belgian military briefed media on these UFOs and that the Air Force tried to chase down these UFOs and recorded, as you said earlier, the uh, radar screens and the footage was presented at the conference, which, again, would never happen in the United States. No. Uh, <laughs> the, the UFOs were, of course, met with skepticism um, as far as, like, if this were to happen in the United States. Um, but, as I said earlier, this was made with the full cooperation of the Belgian government. Um, it all began in a small town on November 29th, 1989, in a small town of uh, called Upon, 
and uh, I don't speak French or whatever language. Belgium, Belgian, Belgian. Yeah. I, I don't speak any of that. So uh, if I Belgianese, yeah. <laughs> If I butcher any of these names, that would be why. I do speak a good bit of German, though, so if it's a oh. German thing, I might be But anyway, um, oh, that, which that brings up another point. In this segment, Robert Stack, anytime he pronounced any of these cities or names or anything, he, he always had a really good pronunciation, and that's because uh, Robert Stack actually spoke, I believe, fluently uh, three or four different languages, mm. according, according to his uh, tribute that was on the Ultimate Collection DVD. He knew French, German... In Italian, I believe, in addition to English. So the man was uh, fucking smart, to say the least. So he had really good pronunciation of this, uh, these names. Uh, someone from the gendarmerie, which is the police department over there, essentially named Henrik Nicole, whatever. I know I'm butchering that. Uh, they were on routine patrol, and um, they saw a field that was all lit up with lights. And lights like on a huge football field is how he described it. So if you're imagining like, a football field, it's all lit up at night, whatever. Um, they thought it was strange, and they wanted to know more, so they pulled over on the side of the road and, and were just observing these lights, and um, at that point, they saw this huge triangular craft in the sky, and underneath it had these huge lights, and it had this pulsating light in the middle, and the whole thing was just floating in the air. Uh, they called uh, one of the dispatchers, Albert Kreutz, and this, this motherfucker... <laughs> He looks so French. Uh, <laughs> this Albert Kreutz guy. And yeah. I have not seen a more French-looking dude. When uh -huh. I think of Frenchman, I think of Albert Kreutz. Well, going back to the whole when they see the UFO, when you see the, the light, the, what looks like a red ball or something that comes out from the... Like, that was just very... It just... Unusual. And it definitely is very eerie. And the the visual effects in this sequence, okay, they were really good for the time. Kind of early CGI, it looked like it. Um, very early. Very early CGI, like, not, yeah, 1991 CGI or something. Uh, but it was just a very kind of unearthly sort of thing. I mean, they did a good job showing that this is not something of this world because... It's got this red light, and then there's this ball thing that's fly floating underneath it, and you're just like, I, I don't know. I have no idea. What is this? Yeah, so they, they started following this thing, the gendarmerie. It's kind of a fun word to say. Uh, they were driving very slowly because the craft was moving slowly. They were saying it almost seemed like someone was in the object and as if they were trying to observe what was happening on Earth. Uh, and then they, they called Albert Kreutz, you know, and he has this quote where he says, Suddenly they told me they were seeing a strange object in the sky and made no noise. We joked about it and said it might be Santa Claus trying to land. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought that was that was kind of a funny little yeah, observation there. All, all these guys are real characters in this one. And, and I'm not even talking about the reenactors. Like the actual like guys they interviewed were, were very, uh, you know, uh, the the uh, Andy Griffith show, you know, kind of the uh, May uh, Mayberry RFD. That's kind of what they reminded me of. <laughs> yeah. These kind of bumbling, kind of buffoon type characters. Um, but yeah, the uh, the dispatcher Kreutz said he um, saw something that looked like a laser beam that actually like shot out of the ship from where he was when he, where he was watching it. He was watching it out of the window of the uh, police station. 
And um, that's where you have the ball that he, yeah, it was such a really strange, yeah. Yeah, so the witness. they continued to follow the object as it circled the city of Upon. And uh, on each side of the object, there was a kind of laser beam. And at this, at this part, it was like, like before there was one laser beam, but at this part, they're saying there was two laser beams and it shot down in kind of like a upside down V formation. And in the middle, there was a ball in the center and it was going back and forth as if it was trying to measure something. Uh, Kreutz called the local airports and they surprisingly reported no unusual activity. Um, as a gendarmerie watched the ship in the sky all of a sudden out of nowhere, almost like behind them came another craft. Oh, yeah. It was rising up right out of the sky, like right next to them. And they said they were, they were quite scared at first. Cause well, well who wouldn't, so I mean, that would be terrifying. Oh like, yeah. Scary yeah. enough that you're seeing this un unexplained object floating in the sky silently, not making any noise, looking like something straight out of close encounters of the third kind. And then here comes another one, like out of nowhere. Like you, you'd be thinking, "Oh, is it more of the worlds? Are we getting invaded?" Like, holy shit! I can't even imagine. I can't even begin to imagine the feeling of seeing something in the sky that you know is not a plane that is massive in size and yeah. has lights and is not making any noise. I just can't imagine the feeling. I can't imagine the fear. Mm -hmm. I, I, it, I don't know, man. It's. I thought it's like I almost want to know, but at the same time I don't like. I think it would be paralyzed. I think it was like a type of paralyzing fear. I don't think it'd be the type of fear where you'd be like screaming, you know, bloody murder. Right. I no. think it would just be the type of fear where you're just standing there, stunned, and just don't want to move. And you're 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 you know you're paralyzed. You know the kind of fear that Econ was talking about in Ghostbusters, where he's saying like. When he saw the State Park Marshall Man for the first time, and he's like, uh, I, I'm, I'm incapable of rational thought. I'm paralyzed. <laughs> <laughs> paralyzed with fear. My, Mike's still on that Ghostbuster month from his YouTube channel. I can see. <laughs> I got Ghostbusters on the brain. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So moments later, uh, Kreutz saw this the same thing, as, and as he called it, a, a strange machine. It was floating about 500 uh, feet away. Uh, it looked like a large ship floating through the air. Then six minutes later, two other gendarmeries encountered the same ship at La Calamie, which is another city in Belgium. At first, they thought it was a joke because they were hearing all these, these reports coming in from uh, the gendarmes in Upon. But when the, when they saw it, quote, they said uh, it wasn't funny anymore, which I thought that was kind of a, a pretty powerful quote. You know, it's yeah, like, we thought they were just joking around and blah, blah, blah. And then they actually see it and it goes and then it wasn't funny anymore. Because that's uh, kind of what happens with a lot of these people when they just buff this stuff off or UFOs or ghosts or whatever. Like, oh, they're crazy. Oh, it's a mass hallucination. Oh, it's not real. It's probably just a plane. You know, and, and you know, th it's just some joke. Right. And then when they see it for themselves, then, they're, then they are like that. You're like, I wasn't laughing. I, you know, the, I saw it. I know what I saw. And, you know, it was real. <laughs> so they, they were going on to say that uh, it was impossible for them to explain what it was. They thought it was an American plane. And uh, I, I kind of wanted to comment on that. Uh, these other countries these ufo segments they always think it's it's us they always think it's american 
like every time, like the Falcon Lake UFO, uh, which is another segment that's pretty good. Uh, it was a Canadian sighting, and, and a, uh, an old guy who was hiking encountered a, a landed spacecraft, and uh, it actually he touched it and it gave him radiation burns. And uh, he, he, of course, he thought it was the Americans. He thought it was us. Everyone thinks it was us. Back in World War II, when uh, UFOs were first sighted. Uh, the Germans thought it was our stuff, and we thought it was the German stuff. So we both both countries thought it was the other person's ships, but it was neither. I just thought that was kind of funny. I always think it's the Americans. Yeah. I always think. Well, I mean, which which you know, I mean, we we were a superpower back then. I mean, I guess we still kind of are, but not. well, mainly because of the fact that we didn't get bombed back to the Stone Age like Britain and a lot of the other countries did in uh, World War Two. True. So. I mean, it's 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 mainly because you know we just we weren't the ones that were you know had our infrastructure destroyed and we, you know we were able to take advantage of that situation. And now we're reali we're under the realization that we're not really in the same situation anymore that we were in the fifties and, and and a few years after and you know a couple of decades after that because you know. We're, we're, you know, there are other countries that have already rebuilt themselves and have, have actually improved massively. And while we've kind of just stayed kind of the same in certain areas and gotten worse than others. And then you got these underdogs like India and China who are coming up from from obscurity, essentially, yeah. who are really kind of becoming world powers of their own. Yeah. So anyway, um, over uh, at, at some point. Um, uh, many other, or actually, I should say, many other people came out with similar reports. Um, in April of 1990, an extraordinary photo was actually taken that showed this craft that everybody had been seeing. Yeah, there was 11 other gendarmes, and more than 100 private citizens came forward with similar reports of the UFOs over Belgium. Yeah, so this photo, which, again, on Unsolved Mysteries, I love it. They go, using computer technology, we've enhanced yeah. this photo. <laughs> oh, this fancy computer technology, something that you could literally do on Photoshop now in, like, literally five seconds. It's like, it was, like, a big deal back then. But, I mean, it was, you know, because you could Exactly. Yeah, yeah. A person couldn't do that. But they, they basically took, they dialed the contrast all the way back, and it showed the actual uh, shape of the uh, UFO, and it was the familiar triangle shape that everyone Elton mm -hmm. talked about. Um, the image was analyzed, and it became the first photographic evidence of this going on in Belgium. Yeah. After and that, for, forgive me, folks, if you hear any background noise on my end. My parents are home, and they're—I don't know—my mom's getting really loud about something for some reason. So, forgive me. There's nothing I can do. I can't duct tape her mouth shut. <laughs> Mike lives in a very broken home. <laughs> it's not really that bad it's just my mom gets really loud if you guys would like to adopt Mike into your house write him <laughs> at his address uh, um, so by this time uh, Belgium the authorities were getting deluged by thousands of these sightings thousands yeah. um, eventually uh, these were all coordinated uh, by a privately funded group called Scientists and Citizens, uh, uh, known as SOBEPS. Mm -hmm. um, and, and they created protocols and, and ways of kind of processing all these sightings and reports. 
Um, in March of 1990, a next uh, wave, a new wave of sightings began, and um, at one point, uh, Captain Jacques Passant was called by some dinner guests and report who reported strange lights in the sky. And uh, the, the lights were described as much bigger and brighter and the, not the same colors as stars. They were reddish and yellow and green. And they began, they began traveling short distances in an erratic manner. Around this time as well, uh, NATO detected uh, the same objects in the same area. They were un this is where the story really gets cool. Yeah. Uh, unable to identify the object on radar, and the Belgian Air Force was now on alert. At this point, and this is one of the first times I think in Unsolved Mysteries history I've heard this happening, two F-16 jets were immediately deployed, and their mission was to locate and identify the object in the sky, or the objects. Uh, the F-16s eventually locked onto the object, but seconds after that, the object bolted out of range at blistering speeds. Uh, the speeds cannot be related to conventional aircraft, and for the next hour, the object seemed to be playing some kind of high-tech game of cat and mouse. Each time they would lock on to this object, it went out of range. It was impossible to accelerate to how fast these objects were accelerating to. Exactly, and and I, I love I love the skeptics' explanation for some of this stuff. Even when they see the radar footage, they're all like, "Oh, it's just like weather patterns, right. the changes in weather patterns." So, <laughs> Show me these weather pattern changes that look exactly like, you know, these changes in in velocity and and stuff like that. I mean, really, weather patterns. <laughs> and, it, and it wasn't just changes in velocity, it was it was changes in ascent and descent, because at, yeah. when they first locked onto the target, it was at 7,000 feet. And then it shot up seconds later to 10,000 feet in just seconds. Yeah. And then it drops all the way down to only 500 feet in the span of five seconds. And, and then it accelerated to more than 1,000 miles per hour, which is half the time, half, half, one and a half times the speed of sound. Right. I mean, and, any human pilot that would attempt anything like that would be dead, would not survive. Oh, we'd be so dead. Human bodies are not meant to do all that shit. Um, the object accelerated faster than the speed of sound, yet nobody claimed to hear a sonic boom, which is another yeah. weird thing because, you know, as everybody knows, when you, uh, when you exceed the speed of sound, it creates a sonic boom. Uh, you're breaking the sound barrier, essentially. Well, maybe it only creates a sound of sonic boom for our aircraft. Because our technology right. is, is advanced. That's, that's what I was as, thinking of. Um, a lot of these UFOs are 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 said to uh, use some kind of magnetic propulsion instead of like a com like an internal combustion engine yeah. or anything like that. So if they're using a whole different kind of almost like uh, it, it changes the characteristics of gravity that that's around this craft, kind of like warp speed. It's like the the rules don't apply when when you're cr essentially creating this bubble of anti gravity around yeah. you that allows you to just like go through the air like some kind of a submarine, some kind of beefed up submarine would go through or like water. a knife or a knife through water, knife through butter. Right. Yeah. 
So the the captain was uh, saying about this footage, and this was footage that was captured. The uh, radar footage was captured. The captain was saying it was totally outside of the performance envelope of a normal airplane. And dis despite all of this, uh, as you were saying earlier, skeptics continue to, to dismiss the sightings as nothing more than mass UFO hysteria. They attribute the, they attribute the radar footage to faulty readings due to environmental effects such as false echoes. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, can you show me actual studies that have, that I, I mean, I love these skeptics. It's like, okay, you have a right to be skeptical, but show me actual examples of these echoes or, you know, these atmospheric conditions that create similar results as to what the radar footage shows. Then I might be more willing to be like, okay, all right, maybe it could be, but you can't, just telling me, just saying that's what it is, is not enough. I'm sorry. Yeah, see, what I always love about the UFO cases is they differ from ghosts in the sense of there's just so many people who see these things that are in the sky. It's not like a ghost that's relegated to a house or a, yeah. a property. Um, and only a few people saw it, you know, whatever. But you, th this story in particular... No, definitely. There's thousands of eyewitnesses uh, of these UFOs in Belgium. Uh, so it's hard to dismiss that as just mass UFO hysteria, especially on a, such a massive level. And I mean, are there a percentage of these people that were seeing something that was explainable and that was a plane? Sure. But, oh, yeah. But the sheer volume, the photograph, the police, you know, getting some of the most credible witnesses possible. Why would the police make this up? What do they have to gain? They have they have nothing to gain, but they have something to lose, their jobs. Yeah, exactly. And, and you know, people think they're crazy, so it'd be like, oh, yeah shouldn't be police officers anymore you know should be upholding the law because you're not sane you think there's little green men and and ufos flying in the sky but it seems like they kept their job which is nice it's, a, it's good that the belgian government you know would be more accepting of that kind of thing well and like uh, and like most police officers they they never go out and say we thought think they're ufos the guy goes I don't know what I'm, I saw. I'm just saying. Exactly. I'm just saying I can't explain what I saw. Which is another way to say a UFO, because unexplained flying object is what UFO stands for. Yeah, but you know, as we all know, the saying you saw a UFO takes on more of a taboo. Uh, yeah. Nature. Yeah, it does. It does. Uh, but so does saying a flying saucer. But I, I would have to say UFO sounds better. It sounds more scientific. Or sounds a little bit more within the realm of reality than flying saucer. <laughs> flying saucer is stuff that just you reminds you of like 50 sci-fi and stuff like that. You know, Earth versus the flying saucers. You know, stuff like that. Yeah. So, despite thousands of sightings in Belgium, only a couple sightings were reported in neighboring countries like Germany and France. Yeah. But maybe it was something where specific, specific to Belgium, because maybe there was something there that the potential aliens or whatever might have wanted to study. It looked like they were measuring something. So 
who knows? Like maybe it, they just show up in a specific area so they can cover that area and then go do whatever else. Um, well, one, one uh, of the details they were mentioning in the show is that some speculated that the, uh, they, they, the UFOs were potentially attracted to Belgium's highway system, which is literally so bright that it, it was even visible to the astronauts that were on the moon. Which is really, that is, uh, that's, that's definitely a standout quote. Uh, that that's how the segment ended too. I think it was uh, a stack said. You know, he said that line. And if it is visible from the moon, pretty visible for any aliens or aliens and alien spacecrafts who might fly. You know, around Earth as well. So maybe they might have been wondering why. How are these lights so bright? But Mike, we never landed on the moon. So how could they have seen it from the? <laughs> <laughs> don't bring this room 237 bullshit into into uh into uncovering unsolved mysteries <laughs> <laughs> uh but yeah it, it's a it's a very interesting case it's one that stands out because of the fact that the belgian government cooperated with unsolved mysteries it had the first ever uh live broadcast of the radar footage and uh you know just a the sheer amount of witnesses, the fact that they all say saw the same particular type of UFO, they weren't saying things like, oh, it was a different shape or it was something. No, they all said it was all triangular, had the same uh, light patterns. Uh, so, you know, that does lend a lot of credence to me personally to this particular uh, story in this particular case. Yeah, and you know, that's kind of nice because a lot of these UFO stories, uh, the the descriptions of the UFOs can be vastly different. Um, yeah. You know, you can have someone saying it was saucer shape, someone was saying it was, you know, more of a spaceship type shape, some would say it's big, some say it's small, but, but with this case, you, you get such a uniform description of what the thing actually looked like that it really makes you think that whatever fleet of ufos this was uh it was the same fleet it, from the same unknown origin it wasn't like you know just mass if it was quote-unquote mass ufo oh, hysteria you know you, you'd think that maybe it would be people just saying all kinds of different things but the fact that there's so much continuity to the sightings gives it more credence as far as i'm concerned yeah yeah all right moving on we have the kelsey house which is one that I, I, I handpicked because for some unknown reason to me, and probably to you and to any fan of the show, this was not on the ghost set. It was not on the bonus disc that's in the, the, the box set. And I don't know why. Like, this has everything you could possibly ask for in an Unsolved Mysteries ghost segment. It not only has one case, uh, it has two different cases from two, two different families that happens in the same house. And, uh, you know, you have a kid levitating off the bed, you have the bed levitating, you have spooky sounds that they hear, you know, it, you know, it's apparitions, you got a psychic guy who manages to go into a trance and s supposedly contact these spirits and talk to them. I mean, it, it's just a very uh, memorable uh, case. And I, I, I I was stunned when I saw this on uh, VHS Rip 
from somewhere and then i was like why is this not in the dvd um so that's why i wanted to talk about it when it came to choosing the segments for the ghosts section of the ultimate collection uh they they got a lot of things right they got a lot of good yes absolutely but they made some very bizarre picks as well i'm sure I'm sure it was very difficult for them to sift through all their segments and pick out exactly, you know, because you're always going to have fans that wanted one that wasn't on there, you know, and, and there, you know, you can't please everybody. Yeah. But I, I do feel like this one is more of the realm of the. It, it's, it's interesting because you have two different uh, families reporting kind of similar occurrences. And usually with these ghost segments, as soon as a family moves, they always add the side note that you know nothing the, happened in the house. Yes, know. ever since yeah. ever since such and such family moved out, there have been no reported inc- incidences. You know that's usually how the ghost story ends on a lot of these unsolved mysteries cases. But this one, it's like one family leaves, another family moves in, nothing happens. Then the, a third family moves in, and then shit starts going down again. So that, yeah. that's what I thought made this one. And also the fact that the ghost, the spirit. Uh, that haunted the first family is supposedly actually, you know, still haunting them over at their next house. And, and the fact that it's not really an evil spirit, it's more like a guardian spirit, a spirit that just decides to to attach itself to this family, not in a negative way, uh, but in a way to protect them, which I find very interesting. Yeah. So, um, I'll go ahead and get into uh, the actual uh, details of this case here. Um, In a hamlet of Fisher Springs, Nevada, which apparently you're supposed to pronounce it Nevada, Nevada. uh, I was really I've always said Nevada. Yeah, apparently, according to this girl I used to know, people from Nevada automatically know you're not from Nevada. If you say Nevada, you're supposed to say Nevada. Um, (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. (laughs) <laughs> or not, ain't Nevadaans, Nevadaans who are listening, uh, if you're out there, uh, correct us on that. Anyway, uh, th- this this 120-year-old cottage has been moved three separate times, this house. And people find it odd that this house has been able to survive for over a century. Because it's just a typical just old cottage, but this thing's been around for 120 years. Um, being moved three times. Uh, it profiles two people's, two family stories, the Kelsey's and the Robinson's. These are both families who experienced this, uh, this happening. Um, the Kelsey family bought the house on May 2nd, 1978, a hundred years. Oh, my birthday, but not really. I mean, I wasn't born in the seventies, but yeah, May 2nd's my birthday. So that's kind of interesting. <laughs> oh, wow. That's kind of uh, creepy there, Mike. <laughs> Starting to think you got some kind of involvement there, fella. (laughs) I got some questions for you there, buddy. No. But you were born 10 years later, right? If you were the same age as me. Yeah, yeah. I was born in 89, so there's no way. Oh, okay. I was 88. Anyway, (laughs) 100 years to the date after the man who built the house died is when the Kelsey family bought it. Uh, From the start, there was something very eerie about the house. Um, I guess you could use the word foreboding. Uh, to harken back to the Black Hope curse one. Um, but anyway, the uh, wife would say, just as you'd get to sleep, you'd hear steps coming up the stairs. And then the husband would hear a swishing sound like the rustling of a chiffon skirt 
which I thought was kind of a funny descriptor of a song. Yeah, but I it is. It, hey, if it helps, you know. It sounded like the tap dancing of a, a, a gaggle of midgets on a tile floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, at first, they just thought it was their imagination. But then, uh, then it started attacking their daughter, or harassing, I should say. Or she felt it was harassing them. The Kelsey's daughter, Jennifer, who was four at the time, had an even more bizarre experience. One night, she rolled over and looked at the bedroom door and saw a little boy who looked sad. And there was a man behind the boy who looked really concerned about him. Uh, they didn't look familiar the way that they looked, uh, but she felt like they knew her. And it was that very same night she felt that uh, she felt a floating sensation in the bed. Uh, and this, uh, this really scared the mom because it's one thing that the parents were getting messed with. But then when the little girl was saying that she was being messed with, too, um, that freaked her out. Then she's levitating like Reagan and the exorcist and the bed's floating. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, I got to say, you know, after that ghost boy story. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. I, I really yeah. got kind of jaded and I'm sitting here, you know, this is all according to the kid. And she said she felt like the bed was floating, even though the segment depicted the bed is floating. And those are two different things now. Yeah, exactly. Just because the segment depicted that the bed was floating. That doesn't necessarily mean it was. She just felt it was. Yeah. But, again, I don't know why a kid would make that up unless they thought they were dreaming, but the parents felt some shit, too, so that gives it credence. Anyway, they called this psychic. Uh, his name was uh, Mar Daniel Martin. And this guy, again, was kind of a, a, a goofball. Um, but it was interesting, though, with this whole way of going yeah. into the dreams yeah so this martin, this martin guy comes over there and then he goes home to his house and he puts himself into a trance and then he apparently meets the kelsey's ghost and he appeared as a sailing man he had a mustache and th that's literally the the thing that that followed him appearing as a sailor is that he had a mustache so it's like um, I, I don't think those two things are mutually exclusive, but uh, no, they're not. I mean, <laughs> look at look at Tom Selleck. Yeah, he's a, yeah. I a guess sailing Tom, man. Tom Selleck is apparently a sailor now. Um, <laughs> the '80s were a weird and wacky time, man. But uh, anyway, the uh, Daniel Martin psychic guy asked the ghost uh, who he was, and he said his name was Samuel, and that his purpose was to protect the child and not to harm her. And then Daniel pretty much said, well, you're freaking everyone out, so cut it out. And I love that in the reenactment where he's just like, well, you know, you're you're freaking everybody out. You're scaring people. Stop it. <laughs> and then and then uh, uh, Samuel promised to not do that anymore. So the ghost is making promises now. Uh, <laughs> he, I, I, I'm not mocking this, I swear. I just think some of the details are kind of funny. He they are. He promised not to mock, the, or not to mock, he promised not to uh, disturb the family anymore. Um, the daughter said she felt the ghost was still in the house, but that the ghost was in the attic, which, mm -hmm. if you know anything about ghost stories, the attic is always a popular place for ghosts to hang out. Um, by then, the Kelseys had three children, including an infant son. Uh, at this point, they had moved out of that house and moved into a more modern house, Um while they they also owned the property and they were trying to rent it out to people, which they did. They rented it out to the second family, which did not have any occurrences with this ghost. I think some people are more in tune to things than other people. Well, yeah. So I think that's part of it. 
That's that's definitely like ninety nine percent of it. I mean, as we've gone through all these kind of ghost stories and stuff, there are definitely people who have a sensitivity to this that that normal people don't. Um, so anyway, the Kelsey family was in their new house and they were taking pictures. Uh, the mom was taking pictures of her infant son on the couch. Uh, she had some extra exposures left in the camera, so she's like, "Yeah, I'll prop him up on the love seat and take some more pictures." So that's what she did. And when the picture, oh, when the camera ran out of pictures, um, she got the pictures developed. Um, and by the way, back before cell phones and cameras built into cell phones, you had a some, something called a uh, a camera and film, and <laughs> and you had to stick the film in the camera and wind it up. And once uh -huh. you took the picture, it was done, and you were stuck with it for better or for worse. Anyway, I'm I'm being very condescending to the younger listeners right now. <laughs> But it just blows my mind how absolutely obsolete film has uh, become yeah. to all but hobbyists at this point. Well, I tried to take a film class, uh, you know, a film camera class, photography class at uh, uh, Clark College here in Vancouver. And I just had to drop it because it was too difficult for me. Like the, the, the whole way to have to change the film, like in dark, pitch black darkness, you have to literally take the film. I don't know how anybody does that in the dark room. Oh. Like how the hell? Do you oh do my that? friend, I I did take a black and white photography class in college, and it was one of the coolest things ever. I mean, I'm not yeah. trying to not trying to get off a t on a tangent, but uh, I I've worked in a dark room, and um, I would I probably if I was better at that kind of thing, being able to do kind of stuff like that without help, then I might have been might have you know went through forward with the class, but you know I just I couldn't do that, so it was just not something i was able to do it's very so I, it's very hands-on and i'll tell you this right now you have a lot more of an appreciation for the pictures once they're developed and you did it by your own hand from start to finish yeah um, i i still to this day love my black and white eight by tens that i i have in my room and i still have all the proof sheets and all it, it, it's really a lost art that if i had the time and money to build my own dark room in my house, I would still use film and, you know, film cameras because there's well, just... film has a certain look to it, too, that, it you does. know, I notice a lot of movies nowadays are digital and they do this filtering stuff later and it just looks so fake. There's just, it does, there's something about film, 35 millimeter, 70 millimeter, it, it, it's just, that's the way films looked and that's the way they looked for so long. They never were meant to be seen in HD or you know, 1080i or whatever. And it is nice to see it, but it's just it loses something. Well, it's the same thing when you watch Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries, you can tell beyond a shadow of a doubt, Unsolved Mysteries was shot on a film camera. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, it is just, it's got, it's got, it, it screams film, and I love it. It gives it such yeah. a nice, nostalgic, kind of foggy look to it. It's, it's just got this really kind of grain especially the uh, vhs rips that we've been yeah. watching they, they they add even more to it but uh that's a, that's another story so uh yeah so when she gets the film developed the pictures come back and as you might have guessed um there is the face of what is said to be samuel on one of the pictures um the the camera roll was only supposed to be of the baby but there's this guy and they said on the show that it was um, the Samuel the ghost, but it actually—I'm going to send you this picture right now. It's—it was actually Phil Collins 
um, first or his like third solo album, uh, the album, the title uh, to "But Seriously," his album. Yeah. And I'm sending. <laughs> you, yeah, you see that? That's Phil. Yeah, that, that was Phil Collins. That was. Yeah, that that does kind of look like Phil Collins, but it, it it's just it's got those shadows and stuff, so it makes it look like it's got you know, a mustache. Yeah, but, if, you can yeah. Look, if you can Google uh, Phil Collins' album, but seriously, it's it's literally <laughs> the picture looks very similar to the, and I just think that's that's hilarious. Uh, even though well, Phil it could Collins, be, it could be, but I I don't did that with that album was that out at the same time? I'm just joking. I know it's I know it's not. I know. It's yeah. Not <laughs> but um, it'd be awesome. It'd be hilarious if it was though. Like Phil Collins is like haunting people even when he's still alive. <laughs> um, he can somehow do but it. seriously yeah. yeah but seriously um <laughs> so that basically let them know that 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 was samuel saying hey i'm still here and i'm still quote-unquote protecting you see um, that's the thing like how would you feel in that situation would you be like <clears throat> this is a good thing or a bad thing some ghost is protecting me and my family i would be scared shitless mm -hmm. especially knowing that it can follow you Oh yeah, that would not that would not be good. But then we have this little tidbit of info uh, from the show. They brought in Vernon Miller to analyze the photo, and uh, he was basically saying he can't say for sure, but he can tell that the image was three dimensional. And this is the funny part. He goes, th th "This guy says a manifestation of a ghost is usually seen as transparent, uh, but this image is obviously, you know." three-dimensional and not transparent so therefore it can't be a ghost and i'm just, <laughs> <laughs> just thinking dude are you gonna say that it didn't have a little ghostly tail like casper too so that's another reason why it can't be a ghost is like could you have a more stereotypical outlook on what ghosts can and can't be like well it wasn't see-through so that's the first indication that's not a ghost uh I thought that was funny that he said and that. And then he said the whole scan line thing. Like, oh, it's a yeah. TV. It's clearly a picture from the television. And yeah. I'm like, I don't see how that is. It's clearly a picture from a TV. Like, why would she? Wasn't this just she was just focusing in on the baby, right? Like, nothing else? Just taking pictures of, of, well, of the, the, the baby? If you were to believe her, that's, that's what yeah. she doing and that's the, that's the whole catch 22 is because it's like well it, it was that a hoax you know because that that would be an easy picture to to replicate and and just say well, in photoshop it would be nowadays but back then i think it would be pretty difficult to take a picture that looks exactly like that you know off a television screen but you know maybe but you, you probably need a really good camera <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, it could have been one of Phil Collins' music videos on MTV back then, you know? No, I'm just <laughs> But uh, the whole thing with the spirit protecting, I mean, hey, yeah, it's scary, but at the same time, man, I don't think you have to worry about burglars. <laughs> you, would like, hope, you would hope not. Although, you know, maybe the ghost doesn't give a shit. It only cares about the little girl or whatever. <laughs> Well, then I think about stuff like, I mean, is this ghost, like, quote-unquote, protecting me while I take a shower, while I'm having sex, <laughs> like, while I'm, like, taking a shit? I mean, like, could, could you not, you know? Like, <laughs> could, could you go, could you give me some privacy? I mean... That's, like, the ultimate invasion of privacy. It yeah. really is. 
because it's not some stalker creeper guy human person that you can you can kind of tell you know it's it's some invisible spirit there's no way you can tell what it's doing what it, or what it's not doing so that that would be very scary so then part two to the story um the the new tenants the third tenants uh at fish springs um the Robinson family, Stephen Mona Robinson. Right. They moved in and uh, they got caught up in their own ghost story. They heard the footsteps. They heard the bangs. Uh, at first, Steve denied it, said there has to be some explanation, as usually always happens. There's one member of the family, usually the male, who um, does not want to admit that it's true. Um their son Garrett started to have frightening experiences, though. Uh, for some reason, kids usually seem to be more vulnerable. Uh, he started hearing noises, bangings, and uh, laughing of children. One time he heard this uh, uh, upstairs, and he went to the top of the stairs, and then he started hearing humming from, like, three different voices. And I got to say, on the show, that humming that they did, that sounded really creepy. Like, they Yeah, did- yeah, they did a great job reenacting this. It was very, uh, definitely scary, and it... It's a great example of what you don't see is scarier because you don't see any apparitions or spirits here. You just hear the humming and and the always creepy music that the show has. And, um, yeah, they did a great job with with that reenactment. There's all these different voices humming and whatever. So after he he hears the humming, the, the kid runs outside and he, like, looks back at his house and he's noticing that the screen door is just banging, like on its own volition. And then he, and this is another creepy scene in the show. He uh, looks at the window and he sees an old man standing in the window, like inside of his house. I mean, if if that doesn't say fuck that, I'm not going back in this house. I don't know what would. As a, yeah. as a little kid, you could not. I just wouldn't go back in the house. I, I just wouldn't. I would have to live somewhere else. I'd have to live in the yard like a dog. <laughs> um, six-year-old Miles, their younger kid, was uh, the next one to be terrorized. One night, uh, again, he uh, the bed was getting lifted up. Um, finally, Mona Robinson reached the end of her rope, and she was getting ready for bed, and uh, heard bangings in the hall. And she came down the stairs, and uh, or well, she heard bangings in the hall, and then these bangings coming down the stairs. And then, I, I mean, I don't know if I heard this correctly, and maybe you can say you heard it the same way I did. She said all of a sudden, behind the bed, in a man's voice, she heard him call her a bitch in an angry voice. I I don't know if it was bitch, or was it Bill, or Billy, or... I thought she said bitch, but... I'm it not... could be bitch. It could be bitch. It makes sense that it would be bitch. Because that would definitely be really unsettling. It's already creepy enough that there's this spirit supposedly haunting your house. Then when it gets really, you know, uh, potentially deadly and aggressive, that's a, that's really scary. And again, you know, Steve thought she was going nuts. What a supportive husband. Uh, she, she started just not going to sleep because, like, this shit scared her so much. And right, well, it's because so. he hasn't experienced anything. So I, I could kind of see why he would feel that way. You know, he hasn't seen anything. So under his concept, Steve is like, well, this is just craziness. But then your kids are seeing it too, so that's the thing. I I don't... I've always been the kind of guy that if I really 
trust somebody or if I'm really close to somebody, especially if I was like, if I liked him enough to marry him, I've always been the kind of person that I just, I usually believe what my friends yeah. tell me, especially if it's in the realm of something like this, where they literally, it's not like, it's not like, you know, she's saying, I got promoted at my job and I have a really great job now and I'm better than you. Ha ha. You know, she's saying, no, I heard this freaky shit. I mean, I'm the kind of person that if like my girlfriend was to tell me that I'd believe it. I mean, I would, well, I would too. I mean, the whole thing is with people who doubt this kind of stuff, unless your, your significant other has had a history of these, of just making shit up and just joking around for right. this kind of thing. Then I, I don't see any reason to be like, oh, she's just nuts, or she's this, or I don't believe it, or whatever. You know, maybe she is having some kind of psychosis. But until you, that becomes clear, if she's normal, uh, if you're going through some psychosis and or mental breakdown, hallucinations is not the only thing you're going to be dealing with. So you know, you're going to notice that it's not just oh, she's saying some crazy things. She actually is crazy well then you have the kids to take into account too it's yeah like it was just her so i mean that's another big one um it, i mean and, and you see the passion in somebody when they're really afraid you know like that's something oh. you can't really fake you know oh. they may not know what they saw but they saw something yeah so january 31st of uh, 1990 the robinsons moved out after only four months after they moved in now that right there as a kid, I would have just brushed that off. But being an adult, hearing that, I'm thinking, oh, man, they broke the lease. They bit blocked yeah. to rent another U-Haul. Like, I'm, I'm thinking about all the logistical pain in the asses that that implies. Like, and that's, you know, a lot of people don't have the luxury of just up and moving like that. But, man, like, after only four months of, of living in a new place, like, that's four months is, like, just the amount of time that you kind of start getting settled in, you get all your stuff unpacked and put where you want it. And now you're having to like up and leave. And, and like I said, they probably broke some kind of a lease and, Oh, what a pain in the ass that must've been. Um, but they were probably like, you know what? I, I'd rather deal with that with breaking the lease than dealing with a ghost that's calling me bitch and like tormenting my kids. <laughs> You know. Yeah, very true. I mean, it depends on uh, how much money you have because uh, I might have to deal with the ghost, ghost calling me a bitch. Not going to lie. <laughs> um, again, I can just imagine a parody of this kind of thing, like the whole sort like if In Living Color did it, you know, you know, imagine, you know, I'm not, you know, the whole sort of In Living Color stuff that is sort of, you know, black comedy. You know, can you imagine that, you know, you, bitch, yeah. you call me bitch. <laughs> Show yourself, motherfucker. Oh, <laughs> <Well>, hell no. <laughs> uh, but uh, apparently the Kelseys, they sold the house in 1992. And as of now, according to research on the Unsolved Mysteries wiki, it is now owned by a casino in Las Vegas. The house is presently being investigated by a paranormal team. Uh, it was also, the house has moved from its pre to its present location from another uh, Virginia city. So it was moved again, apparently. Or it's still there. Or there was another thing on YouTube where this guy says people were saying they, they were, they went into the Kelsey house and it's like abandoned and they tore it down recently, but that's not really the Kelsey house. It's some other place. So yeah. 
Well, that Daniel, that that goofball Daniel Martin, like after they experienced that, he came in there again and he he went into yeah. the nation and he uh, put himself into a trance and met how the does ghost. He do that? That's the thing I'm wondering too. Is like, how does he go into this trance? Like, what does he, he do? He's thinking all the money I'm getting for the hourly rates that I charge. Hum, a hundred dollars <laughs> an hour that they're paying me for this bullshit ghost story. Hum. <laughs> I'm going to buy myself a new boat with this money. Um, I could put myself in a trance <laughs> by doing that, I think. Yeah. Um, but he encountered... him hypnotizing himself or something. Like with the sort of metronome or with a watch. Yeah. It, it just be... You are getting... I'm getting very sleepy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so he encountered three entities this time. Two men and one, one woman. And his imp first impression... And, and that ties in with what the... Uh, what the kids were saying, that they were saying they were hearing the voices of two male ghosts and one female ghost. Oh, yeah, it's true. So, I didn't need to connect those details, but yeah, that's true. But he said that these ghosts were troublemakers, and they were rowdy, and they were unlike the first, They were unlike Samuel. They were just there to kind of cause trouble, which is the worst kind of ghost. You, you, you don't want someone like that in real life, and you don't want like, someone like that in the afterlife either. No. He asked the spirits to leave, but by that point, the Robinsons had already moved, so it was kind of too late. I don't know why they waited that long to call that guy out there anyway. Exactly. It's like, it's like, it's like Beetlejuice dealing with some rowdy ghost, you know? Yeah. They want that. So, um, I mean, I know you just gave us an update, but I guess before the casino bought it, uh, years later, they sold the house to a couple who bought the house with full knowledge of the hauntings. And they lived there for eight months and had no experience with haunting. So it was like every other person. Eight months? Or, or, <laughs> that's, yeah, eight... That's, not, that's pretty short. Or maybe they did experience something, but they would felt embarrassed if they, you know. There's that, too. I'm not trying to be conspiracy theorist here. But there's that, too. There's a possibility of that, that people might have experienced some hauntings or crazy stuff but they just refuse to admit it or they don't want to admit it in public and they just want to keep that under wraps well to me if you're buying a house with full knowledge of the hauntings and you experience some hauntings you're going to want to tell people about it because these guys seem like the kind of people who either yeah. a, either a, some or... people some people just don't want to to believe <laughs> Yeah, they're either those kind of people or they're those kind of people who are just so overzealous for ghosts and they think it's so cool. They're like, oh, I want to live in that house. I want to live. That's so cool, you know. So yeah. they're either one of the two types of people there, I think. I don't know. I guess a casino has it now, though. And it got moved <laughs> or something. Which is funny, a casino owning a hundred. Yeah, it's just another way for them to make a buck, sadly. <laughs> Everything has to get exploited at some point to make money, and then the ghosts probably get disgusted by the capitalistic nature of these uh, <laughs> owners, and they go somewhere else. Go haunt the casino. There's enough dead beats in there already. See what I did there? See what I did? <laughs> All right, our final story, the uh, creme de la creme of this podcast, as far as I'm concerned, is the Mothman legend um, this, this story, as we were saying before, is really neat because unlike, you know, your Bigfoots and Chubacabras, this is a very different kind of 
entity that we're dealing with. Uh, it's been described. When I first, yeah, when I first heard of this one, I think I read it in a book or something. It wasn't this segment. It was like a book that was talking about different, like, uh, different unexplained things. And it mentioned, you know, creatures and stuff like that, cryptozoological type of stuff. And Mothman was one of them. And that case always stood out to me because I was just like, this is just strange surreal and downright terrifying and then the whole stuff with the men in black and how it was there could have been a little connection with uh, the bridge you know falling apart and then all of this it just feel, felt like it, it was like wow like this is very interesting and uh terrifying too <laughs> I mean, when you start off an Unsolved Mysteries episode where you're saying, you know, crumbling buildings outside of Point Pleasant, West Virginia are home to a terrifying creature. I mean, you don't need to say any more, man. You got me. Like, I'm exactly. Like, yeah. This is I'm already. I already yeah. love, love this. Whatever this is about, whatever Robert Stack's about to say, I'm already on board. Like. So. The origins of this fucker, as we were saying, um, <clears throat> Mothman, uh, he's been described as uh, standing seven foot tall or better, enormous glowing red eyes, bat-like wings, man-like legs. Um, Gray had, or black. And they, had, they had one guy on there, and I thought this was kind of funny. Uh, the, the, the guy, that they so they interviewed like several people. They had little snippets of their interview at the beginning of the segment. And the last guy who actually saw Mothman during the day, he goes, he goes, uh, that was the ugliest bird and I'd yeah. seen bird that I've ever seen. I remember and, that. And so I'm listening <laughs> to that going, okay, it's the ugliest bird and you do mean birds. So so you're saying it's definitely a bird and not a moth creature? Like, I, I don't I don't understand why you're... But then he adds the whole thing where he's like, and I, I never, I never want to see it again. Uh, I, that guy came off to me as somebody who, like, probably hadn't been on camera much in his life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, not saying most people have, but I mean, that, that guy seemed a little excited um, to, yeah. to be on camera. But anyway, um, there are a certain percentage of citizens that feel like it's 101% a hoax. Um but the point of it is, is a hundred hundreds of ordinary people have seen something that they can't explain in the woods of Point Pleasant, uh, West Virginia, uh, and they call it the Mothman. Uh, this all started in November on November fifteenth of nineteen sixty six. Linda Scarberry and her husband and another couple were heading to an old munitions factory called the TNT. And it was used during World War II. It was at this facility that the Mothman would make its debut. Um, I just, I find it funny that like, you know, the story is about like the first sighting was these, essentially these teenagers going to this old munitions factory, yeah. you know, Oh, it's just something straight out of a horror movie. Yeah. It really is. Yeah. And then it's, it's like, you know, I wonder what they were going out there to do to an old abandoned factory. This, these two couples, those freaks <laughs> wanting to get involved in some kind of weird 1960s free love orgy. Um, but maybe that's what the Mothman doesn't like. He doesn't like people, uh, you know, fornicating. The Mothman it, is just a very hardline conservative. That's he's <laughs> trying to instill morality in the citizens of Point Pleasant. But uh, no, uh, they're not being very pleasant. They're not living up to its name. 
they wanted to feel very pleasant from that, you know, once they got there. But Mothman just was the ultimate cock block, and it just didn't happen. Uh, nothing softens a boner more than a cryptozoological freak show like the Mothman. Um, They're described as half man, half bird, glowing red eyes, and a wingspan of 8 to 12 feet. Think about that, folks. Just put that image in your head. Like, that's... That's, that's enough to make you, you know, piss your pants in fear, you know, run a, just scared shitless, literally. Well, then not only that, when they pull up to the thing, it lets out this horrific screech. Yeah. So, of course, they go, well, <laughs> we'll have to take a rain check on that necking session. Let's get the fuck out of Dodge. So they, they you know, drive away, and the car is approaching speeds of 100 miles per hour. Over over 100, I think. They said 100 or over 100. And, and I mean, for a, a car in 1966, you know, going 100 miles, shit, that's, uh, that's something. Cause... And so you would think if this was a bird, that they'd be easily be able to, to uh, outrace or outrun. I don't really like using the word outrun, though, with a car. <laughs> But you think they'd be easily be able to escape from a bird if they're dr- driving in a car at around 100 miles per hour or over 100 miles per hour. But no, this thing is in close pursuit. It's like right behind them. Like yeah, right I mean, in there fact, in it was middle. like it was hitting the top of the car. It was yeah. it was gliding from side to side. And then finally, when they hit the lights of the city, the Mothman fell back and, and went away and disappeared. That's not a bird. Birds can't do that. No. The very next night, uh, Marcella Bennett was leaving her brother's house, walking outside to her car with her daughter in her hand. As uh, this is the one that's re- that really is probably the scary. The, the, the other one, the first one's pretty scary too. It's just this one, the whole thing where it could be it's at your house. Right. Like, the first, the first <laughs> one, you were you were kind of on its on its turf, you know. But this yeah. one is just at some residential home. So when she gets. Uh, she reached for the door handle, and she saw what looked like legs in front of her, and she kept looking from the feet up, and she's quoted as saying she was looking at something that she had never seen before. That's all she knew to say about it. So her and her daughter booked it back inside of her brother's house, and in the segment, they depict this creature. Uh, the, the the brother turns the lights off and closes the, the blinds and locks the door and all, and this creature is just in the... You just see its silhouette pretty much with its red glowing eyes and yeah. its window, and it's this big, just creature with these red eyes. And I mean, that's just that's sending a chill down my spine. Just you know, just when you're describing that, making the hair stand up on my on my skin. This part of the scariest moment of the of the segment was was that um, the prop department I thought did a pretty damn yeah good job in in not. They were they would never show it for too long, and it was very it's because good. it probably wasn't a very good prop. But you know, it look, you know, might have if you freeze framed it, it looked like it might have been made out of like pipe cleaners they bought at the craft store, but uh, and just hung on a string. But the, they did a great job shooting it to the point where you know it was obscured enough that you couldn't tell you know how cheap the effect was, and it was still effective that way. It was a really and good it, practical effect. Yeah, it was because they, they even if it was cheap, they they did a good job shooting it, which is something that with practical effects you can always do that and do a really good job with that kind of thing, or maybe be able to sh- hide some things at least for stuff like this where you, it's not necessary to show it 
a lot. CGI, it's harder to me because they they artificially light it and it doesn't match with what's going on in the sequence. So it doesn't match the lighting that's in the room. So they still haven't gotten that right. So you can tell that it's CGI because the lighting doesn't doesn't match. Right. But so, uh as yeah. This, as this thing was standing out on the front porch like looking in basically, the lady was quoted as saying that um they they she was she she never thought in her wildest dreams that she would be looking at something like that standing out there. Um, it was unbelievable. And no, I, can, I can imagine that. You know, I mean, <laughs> if you put yourself in that position, it's just like you're thinking, this isn't really happening right now. There's no way that this is really happening. That this They're thinking I, I'm hallucinating. I'm going through uh, some kind of breakdown mentally. Uh, I must have, I need to quit drinking. <laughs> Or, you know, or, or I, I had somebody drugged me or something. What, what is going on here? It's just a nightmare. And then when you realize that you're awake and it's not a dream, that's when the realization hits that, holy shit, this is actually happening. What the fuck is that thing? And is it going to kill me? Is it going to break through the window and eat me? I've seen horror films. This does not end well, usually. Right. And then you have to, like, live your whole life with the knowledge of of that, you know, like, this existed, this happened, and we don't know what it was. That would torment me for the rest of my <laughs> days. It really would, because it'd be something that it, it would take a long time just to kind of get past that. But even if you could, but there would totally be days where you'd have probably PTSD-type flashbacks. Oh, yeah. Of this particular incident, because it's it's it really is horrifying, and the whole realization that everything that you knew about the world and everything you knew about the world around you is is just not real. It's not true because there's this this creature that exists, and you don't know where it came from, and you don't know where it went. It disappeared, but as far as you know, it could pop possibly come back. And, you know, that that's just a terrifying thought. It, it, it's just, and the imagery would just stick with you. And it sticks with me anyway. And I haven't even experienced it for myself. And it's still imagery that sticks with me. It, 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 it imprints itself uh, into my subconscious in some ways. But it's not as nearly as much of a connect. It's not as much of a connection as it would be if you actually saw it. Because there's a difference between watching a reenactment of something on a show or reading about it versus actually seeing it. Yeah, I showed my friend this segment a long time ago, and to this day, I can't even say the word Mothman without her just going, stop, stop right now, stop. Like, she got so scared just by seeing that segment. Like, she can't even he hear the word because she's, like, forever afraid of this thing now. Like, that's how... <laughs> that's yeah. how Potent thing was. I, I can see why. It's a very foreboding, scary, uh, cryptozoological uh, creature of some sorts. Mobs are, and insects are creepy enough as on their own, but like a man-sized one with demonic glowing red eyes? Yeah. With screeching like some kind of death whale? Yeah, that's, that's pretty, it's pretty terrifying. It's definitely blood-curdling. Um, yeah. 
a few days later, Tom Yuri, the goofball I was talking about earlier, <coughs> who said who said, and I do mean bird. Uh, he was driving near the TNT area, and he's so far the only person to see Mothman during the day. Uh, he caught a glimpse of something out of the corner of his eye, and he thought it was a helicopter. And uh, the huge bird that circled, uh, it was a huge, from what he says, it looked like a huge bird that circled his car, making big loops, getting lower and lower. And, and uh, you know, he started getting a little scared because he didn't want to be breakfast. Uh and then uh, it made a loop back to the left and went back over the riverbank. When he got to uh, where he was going, he called the Point Pleasant Sheriff's Office and reported the incident. And then over the years, the sightings increased. The descriptions were similar. It was described as part man uh, and part bird with huge red eyes. And this story eventually you know, caught the national and then eventually global attention and thousands started to flock to the TNT area in Point Pleasant to catch a glimpse. The press was everywhere. Everyone was on edge to see what the outcome would be. And uh, as everyone searched for Mothman, other weird occurrences started to happen. Now, this is another part of the story that freaked me out. And they just kind of gleam over this detail and then they go into the men in black thing. The animal mutilations? Yeah. 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 they're They're like, other weird occurrences started happening. Residents would go out to their farms and their animals would be dead with just the blood gone or just the heart removed. Yeah. Which that sounds more like the MO of the Chubacabra. That's more of like... What or, or the cattle mutilations that were going on, which people would say were also related to extraterrestrials. You know, UFOs and stuff like that with their cattle that are found with parts missing, blood drained, you know, stuff like that. Man, PETA would have a field that he, they would have an earful for those aliens. <laughs> Look, buddy, I don't care where you're from. You do not treat cattle that way. They have rights. Then the next thing you know, anal probe. But anyway, um, the town started to receive visits after this incident from enigmatic strangers, and their pension for dressing in all black earned them the name the Men in Black. Now, these people would show up. Men in Black. Men in black. <laughs> the difference between you and me is I make this look damn good. <laughs> Am I quoting the wrong movie? No, that's the right movie. I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna fit in that Will Smith reference whenever I can on this podcast, because <laughs> I just thought it was so corny. But uh, anyway, the the Men in Black, like the real Men in Black, showed up in in you know from the other case, and we're gonna do a segment on on. They reminded me a lot of the the Men in Black kind of the people you see in black clothes in the movie Dark City. I don't know if you heard of that. I have, I've actually seen that one, but I haven't seen it in a long time. Very similar sort of look that a lot of these men in black in some of these reenactments and uh, discussions people have about the men in black. Um, sometimes they say they look human. Other times they say they look kind of human, but they're like really pale so that's what it kind of reminds, reminds me of the people in Dark City. There's a whole segment on uh, Men in Black on Unsolved Mysteries, and we'll cover that one at some point, because that, that in and of itself is very, very interesting. Uh, the Men in Black just in and of, uh, of themselves. I didn't even know anything. I thought it was just a movie thing uh, or a comic book, because the movie's based on a comic. Until you know, I saw segments like that and read some UFO books, and I'm like, oh, Men in Black, oh. All right. <laughs> yeah, I, I didn't know that either. But yeah, I mean, again, it's like, you know, all this kind of stuff that makes it into movies, I feel like is all taken from real life happenings, you know, so it makes sense that the men in black is a real thing. 
Um, I mean, even if even just thinking about the government and FBI, you know, they, they have a pension for dressing in all black. So, I mean, just, you know, to go that far, it's not much farther of a, of a no. stretch to think that there is these secret operatives that are silencing. Yeah, so, yeah, these men in black showed up. Uh, people believe they're from the government, and that makes sense. So they said uh, that they tried to get these residents of Point Pleasant to stop talking about the Mothman. And some people were justifiably scared by this and, you know, stopped talking about the Mothman. Yeah, they terrified a lot of the original witnesses, they said on the show. Um, one theory is uh, that the Mothman was a government experiment that's gone horribly awry, and, and that's, that's kind of why it explained the men in black being out there is because it, it was government-related. Um, others or it could have been an extraterrestrial of origin. They might have known about it, and they want people to keep quiet. Or yeah, that could be it. Or people had theory that it was a mutated bird. Yeah, I'm gonna get into that. Uh, some of the other theories were um, eyewitnesses were actually seeing a large bo bird, more specifically the sandhill crane. This this part of the th this part really pisses me off, and I, I made a video <laughs> about this along a, a top ten unsolved mystery segments, and this is something I bitched about in that too. Uh, the Sandhill Crane, indigenous to the area, stands nearly as tall as a man, and it has large red patches of skin above the eyes, and that's what they might be seeing. And it's like, no. man, you know, show, shows always do this kind of shit. There's always, there's always someone out there that goes, well, actually, what you saw was the Sandhill Crane, and it ha had red patches, and you, <laughs> it's like, how stupid do you think we are that, you know, first of all. <laughs> Did the patches of skin on its fucking face glow? Because this one glowed. And and secondly, was it big and beefy? And no, the sandhill crane is like a broom. Did it have a wingspan of, you know, 8 to 12 feet? <laughs> does it fly at 100, over 100 miles an hour? Uh, you know, does it have man-like legs? Bat-like wings? Yeah. Is it 60 feet tall? <laughs> Yeah, so that was a lame excuse for uh, uh, for an explanation that they tried to give. Um, the third explanation, which is well, there was even the guy who after the was it even might have been might have even been, might have even been the guy himself who came up with that uh, description, who was like, "Yeah, but that's probably." <laughs> not it or something yeah, like and, that and he, and he was and he was to his credit he was saying that in the segment the guy who can't who was the guy was just kind of like repeating theories that he had heard and yeah. he was saying that you know none of the other um none of the other uh you know description fits fits the sandhill crane so um but my my third and favorite theory of what this could be uh was that eyewitnesses uh, or that the area, the TNT was originally uh, a bird sanctuary before um, World War II brought a lot of arm, armaments and pollution to the area. So they're, they're, they're suggesting that combined with the genes of the animals and the toxins and pollutants, uh, it made a mutant type bird creature. <laughs> <laughs> that is my favorite. Uh, that I hope that's the true one right there because. That sounds like something straight out of a comic book. That that does, and and if that's, uh, I mean, that's great. Like, that needs to be like a Marvel comic book villain, like the Mothman. <laughs> um, some thought it was. Some thought Mothman was linked to a tragedy in Point Pleasant. The uh, Silver Bridge collapsed. Uh, it was one of the bridge linking um, 
Point Pleasant to the uh, rest of... Yeah, it collapsed. It killed 46 people. Uh, one witness claimed to have seen the Mothman on the bridge sort- shortly before the collapse. Uh, the cause of the collapse is later determined to be a structural failure. But who knows? Maybe this, maybe, maybe the Mothman was trying to warn people of something. There's, 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 con- there's concepts and ideas that have been thrown out about that. There's been plenty of books that have been made about the Mothman, uh, including the Mothman Prophecies, which was turned into a film with Richard Gere. And I've seen that movie, and it's been a while since I saw it. Remember, they did a great job, you know, really, you know, reenacting the Mothman sightings. And if you're interested in Mothman and you're curious about it, I do recommend that movie. I really do. Richard Gere did a good job as well, performance-wise. And um, it focuses on the whole sort of connection between the Mothman and the Silver Bridge. And... uh, yeah, it was. Uh, I thought. I actually think it's a pretty underrated movie. It's kind of a film that's kind of been forgotten about and kind of fell by the wayside, and people don't really talk about it that much. I actually remember that movie being advertised in theaters back when I was a kid, because um, like way before I knew anything about this Mothman segment on Unsolved Mysteries, I remember hearing that title, The Mothman Prophecies, uh, now in theaters or whatever, and I thought that, huh, that sounds. That sounds interesting. Whatever it sounded, it honestly sounded too scary for me to want to see it as a kid. Um, but now I'll probably go and give it a watch. Um, so when I saw the Mothman segment on the Unsolved Mysteries DVDs, I was like, I wonder if this has anything to do with that movie. And turns out it does. So I'm definitely gonna give that a watch now because I, w- I was unsure actually before this very day when I talked to you before we started taping that you said, yeah, that's actually where it came from. So I was like, oh well, I gotta go check that out now. Um, since, since, um, the bridge collapsed, the bridge has been repaired and all that, and the Mothman sightings have virtually stopped. Um, so again, trying to lend credence and credibility to a story, it would make sense that this thing would eventually die. Um, yeah. so the fact that, that it's not seen anymore kind of makes me think that perhaps this was some kind of a mutant bird or whatever and, and it eventually died and it was the only one of its kind and that's why yeah you know now if it was a hoax then this thing could be perpetuated ad nauseum you know for yeah. ever but the fact that that hasn't really happened kind of leads me to believe that it was a genuine article and once it died of natural causes or whatever that it just kind of stopped you know so this I, is I, yeah this is one of the truly like scariest, creepiest, um, uh, unknown or unexplained segments on Unsolved. Well, I agree. I agree. And another thing is that kind of uh, adds some credibility to this case is that the people who drew drawings of what the Mothman supposedly looked like they were very similar. So that's another thing. If it was kind of just. And these weren't people that knew each other. They weren't friends, you know, all of the different uh, witnesses, you know, there were some people who were friends or around, but then they, they only, but then there's other, they, not everybody who was saw this was related to one another or friends or acquaintances. So, you know, that would lend to something. Okay. They could have made it up, you know, for publicity or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's one of those things we don't really have the proof, like photographic proof, uh, 
the we don't have the Mothman carcass or anything. Um, so it is one of those cases where it's kind of hard to be like, oh, there's no cold hard facts here. There's no smoking gun. There's no anything that's like, oh, that definitively proves that the Mothman existed. But you know, you could say that for a lot of other things. To me, that's, uh, to me, that's one of the beauties of, of Unsolved Mysteries as a show in general is that it, it was it around... It doesn't make your mind up. It doesn't try to do that. Well, it never try, I never really thought Unsolved Mysteries tried to ever influence you or try to make you, okay, this is what really happened. This is... It existed. You know, this is why. No, they give you opposing viewpoints... Even if some of them might be kind of stupid, like a fucking bird, really. I, I'm pretty sure we're smart enough we can tell what's a bird and what's not. <laughs> well, I mean, I, I also like it because this show came out in a time where there weren't smartphones and there wasn't these little miniature computers that everyone held in their hands. So, you yeah. know, these these myths and legends are a lot more... Um, tantalizing uh, just yeah. based off the simple fact that there wasn't a lot of you know photographic evidence there wasn't a lot of recordings you there was just you there photoshop was just, it you couldn't you know right it was just word of mouth and scary stories and there and the physical evidence that was left behind was very compelling you know it's not like you could uh take a 10 second snapchat video of this thing and and put it up for all to see and mock and, and be like oh this is fake and so, I mean, that's the thing. I think in, in, in where we are in society now, I think and that is kind of a, a thing that would be a problem. I think we, there might be videos that might prove some crazy shit, but I think a lot of people would just rather assume it's not real. And they pick it apart and they'd say, I don't believe it. I didn't see it. We don't know what's going on. That, that's probably fake. And it could very well be actual footage of some UFO or some cryptozoological creature of some sorts. And and people would be on YouTube just being like writing comments on fake. You know, I mean The vetting process <laughs> the vetting process for this stuff must have certainly gotten much more difficult these days than it was back in the old I mean it's it's gotta be easier because these same uh, you know, because I'm sure there's still these private groups out there that are still like on the hunt for this stuff and they can use modern technology to their advantage, but it's also used against them in the sense that they have yeah. all these fraudulent pictures and videos that are coming up now that, you know, that, that used to, you could, you could pick it out in two seconds if it was a fraudulent video or not. Exactly. Probably one of the most frustrating uh, cases when it comes to this kind of stuff that, to me was uh, an Unsolved Mysteries segment on the Ultimate Collection dealing with crop circles in England and how they set up a uh, camera that recorded for like two weeks straight and how um, they said they got like seven or eight crop circles in that time period and they said two or three were, were genuine hoaxes. Uh, but the other four were the real deal, and they said the film footage is still being analyzed, and I've never heard another thing about it since that yeah. statement. I, yeah. I'm so pissed, because I'm like, what did they end up finding out? Damn it. They're essentially saying that they have on on video crop circles being made. Well, maybe that was found. Maybe they did find, uh, the video did have crop circles being made, but then, you know, you know who, <laughs> the U.S. government gets involved, and then right. it's like, uh-uh. 
Yeah, but these people were based out of England, though. But, I mean, the English and, and American governments are in such cahoots with one another that, who knows, you know, maybe uh, our government imposes sanctions on them, too, when it comes to stuff like UFOs, because they feel like it's for the natural uh, safety and, and, you know, good uh, benefit of um, the uh, mankind or whatever the fuck you want to say it by withholding this information. Speaking of which, I kind of want to read... Uh, this um, I mentioned earlier, this guy Tom DeLonge, the uh, old singer from Blink-182, um, has spent extensive time and has been very visible when it comes to the whole UFO phenomenon. And um, yeah, his book, I, I think, Secret Something? Secret Machines. And I, I've seen some reviews of that on Amazon, and it's like, they say things like, oh, it's like pseudo-fiction. You know, so it's kind of like, pseudo nonfiction that's what i meant pseudo nonfiction or it's kind of based on maybe some reality but then it's got you know a fiction story that's you know in there and i think that's kind of that's kind of his way to be able to kind of divulge some of this information i guess well this particular, this particular uh, thing that he posted on instagram was from an upcoming documentary and it wasn't from the uh, book i'll just go ahead and read it real quick because if you're interested in ufos and things of that nature this might um this might be a, a a valuable piece of information now granted tom delange is a big public figure he's not just some uh you know cons conspiracy theorist wearing a tinfoil hat out there so uh, his, his words have a little bit more weight to me as far as i'm concerned uh his the caption or the picture they post, I mean, it shows a picture of uh, two UFOs and it looks like an old grainy photograph. But I mean, who's to say if this if that's real or not? I, I mean, I'm guessing if he's truth is out there. If he's But no, I mean, if he if he's wanting to have any kind of credibility, I don't, I don't know why he posts a fake picture of a, a UFO on his Instagram. But anyway, he says. We are getting very close to showing you all a piece of the documentary. Been working on this for a long time. This week I flew across the country and spent 12 hours with two scientists from the CIA and a very high-level person, person from the Defense Department. Our country has been doing incredible things in relation to this topic. Every decision they made, as hard as, is, as hard as it is to comprehend now, really was in our best interest. At first, your instinct is to be angry because you feel like you were lied to left out of something important but once you know the facts you'll be proud of what our country did very proud and that's all it reads interesting yeah so apparently i don't know you know because you know you had the alien autopsy video that for many years was kind of viewed as being the real deal and then it was found out to be a hoax so i guess i'll wait and see <laughs> yeah I mean, I can't wait to see what he's been working on because, I mean, yeah. I've been keeping up with it's him. It's interesting. It, it is an interesting. It is interesting. Because of who he is, he's been able to get access to these high-ranking people that your normal Joe Schmo wouldn't be able to talk to. So I want to know. Damn it. I want some fucking answers. What, you want the truth? <laughs> you can't handle the truth. <laughs> I might not be able to, but, you know... That's for me to decide. It's my personal right as an American. <laughs> all right, Mike, is, is this all we got? I think this is all we got. I think that's all we got. Uh, I don't have anything else to say about Mothman, except I definitely don't want to see him flying around my window at night. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, 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 don't, I don't particularly want to see him. I mean, if I'm going to, 
it would be nice if he ate like some insects around my house and did shit like a normal moth does, but maybe on a larger <laughs> scale. That would be helpful. Um, but yeah, anyway, uh, for me, oh, I was gonna mention yeah the the pictures and stuff, the the artist renditions people did of the Mothman. Like some of them are kind of crude, but they still make just give me chills. Oh yeah, just they were, darkness. Yeah, they were very freaky. Red eyes. It's worth. It's definitely worth a Google. I mean, at least look it up on Google. Um, I highly doubt you'll be able to find any clips of it on YouTube because Viacom and. I think there's uh, other shows that have t talked about the Mothman, though. But not, it's not the. You're not going to be able to find the Unsolved Mysteries segment unless you buy the Strange Legends set which is expensive so good luck so really all you have is us two bumbling idiots trying to uh <laughs> recreate I as much idiots but yeah <laughs> i'm kidding i, I find self-deprecating humor funny yeah it, it, I, I can find it funny too but yeah. all right guys for me and mike that's the podcast you can find us on stick you can f literally find us on anything now you can find us on itunes please if you go to review us uh try to keep in mind that we're doing the best we can as far as the audio quality is concerned we are thousands of miles away from each other so you know we can't exactly have like studio quality microphones in the same room oh. if anyone has any suggestions on how to improve that please let us know you can find um, you can find me at uh, youtube.com slash dancing with ghosts and then the number two and you can find Mike at youtube.com slash OCP communications um, you can I'm, I'm thinking about making a Facebook page for this podcast since we're getting a lot of uh, listens uh, sounds so, fine to me yeah we can have a more universal way of uh, connecting with people so we can maybe address some of this stuff and you can give us suggestions easier because uh, I think a lot of people don't feel like typing all that shit in on uh, YouTube, but if they can just find us on Facebook, maybe it'll be easier. <laughs>